We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All righty then. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Starting your day with Always Right Radio. Maybe you started your day earlier with Hugh Hewitt, which is always a smart move. Learn what's going on across the country. Learn what's going on in our backyard. But if you're just turning it on for this program, it is greatly appreciated. And uh, not taken for granted. Ten minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're already rocking and or rolling. 16th morning, 11th month, year of our Lord, 2022, and it is on. And that's really the only way to say this. It is on. Last night was expected. It did not come without with uh, any surprise. It did not come with uh, uh, you know with any new information. We have known probably for two years that this moment was coming, but last night it was made official. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. And there it is. When I interviewed Donald Trump back in June of 2021, not June of this year, but June of last year when he came into the rally, 
in Wellington. You may or may not recall that. And I had President Trump on. He came here and he rallied for Max Miller and he rallied for other uh, uh, Republicans. Sadly, for, for Mike DeWine, too. I'll never understand that. But when I interviewed President Trump in June of 2021, and I asked him, because, you know, we're only, what, six months at that time, six months from Biden's inauguration, six months uh, uh, past, uh, you know, the January 6th debacle and everything else that happened. And I asked him, you know, hey, uh, all the rumors are out there. You're not happy, obviously, with the fact that your election was stolen from you. Are you coming back for another run at it in 2024? And he was not willing to say so then, but he said, you know, I already know what I'm going to do, but uh, uh, but I can't say right now, but I think you'll be very, very happy. You'll be very, very happy, indicating that I and maybe all of the listeners would be very happy because absolutely he was running. There was never a doubt. There was never a doubt that Donald Trump was going to run again in 2024. And this goes all the way back, I would dare say, literally even before the inauguration, literally even before January 6th, um, he knew that if they were going to steal this from him, he was going to come and steal it back. Well, not steal it back. I take that back. I don't think Donald Trump wants to cheat to win an election the way the Democrats do, but he is going to reclaim that which was stolen from him. So that's what I mean when I say steal it back. And everybody in America who listened to Donald Trump last night make that live one-hour-long speech, which included that announcement of his candidacy, has a feeling about it. They have an opinion about it. They're either thrilled that he's going to come back and try to reclaim his throne, or they are absolutely 100% opposed to the prospect at all. I dare say there are no Americans who are... Eh, about it. Nobody is watching that last night, learning about it this morning, reading the transcript of his speech. Uh, Anybody who heard it or is now just hearing it for the first time, no one is shrugging their shoulders and saying, eh, okay, good for him. Uh, We'll see how it shakes out. I think you are either already in the Team Trump MAGA camp or you are already like, no, don't do it, sir. And that's whether you like him or not. I think the left is screaming, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, because they despise and revile him so much, and they don't want to have to counter that force of nature that he is in another general election. I think the left is screaming no, and they're begging somebody to indict him before it even gets there so that he doesn't have a chance. But I think those on the on the conservative side, those on my side, those on our side, fall into the, yes, go get him, President Trump, or the, good God, no, don't do this again. I can't go through the circus again. We have better options now. Thank you for what you did, but the time for that is past. We need to move forward now, not backwards. And the presence of what the left calls orange man bad is going to take us backwards into that again. I don't think anybody is indifferent. So I'm going to ask you, where are you? And I will be very, very clear about where I am. I think I have been already as we've talked about this prospect, as we moved closer, and as there were rumors that he was going to announce last Monday, the day before the midterm elections, um, when he was in Florida, 
Uh, there were rumors that he was going to, at that rally, say, I'm running again, which would have taken all of the... No, I'm sorry, not in Florida. It was He was here in Ohio. He was here in Ohio. He was down in Dayton. Beg your pardon. So he was here to help rally for J.D. Vance and Max Miller and others, Madison Jesse Otto Gilbert and J.R. Majewski. And, and there were there were rumors that his whole family was there and that he was going to make that announcement then, which, of course, would have stolen the thunder from the candidates who needed the attention in the midterms there. Thankfully, he didn't, but he did announce at that time, I have an announcement to make, and that is that I will make an announcement next week. And everybody knew what that meant. So I've I've made my position relatively clear on it, but I'm going to make it even more clear this morning in the monologue. Before I get into the details, I'm going to ask you, Patriots, first of all, before I ask you to stand, I want to remind you or I want to let you know what's coming up. We have a packed program this morning coming up in half an hour, now about 20 minutes at 9.35. We are going to speak with um, John Hagan, Ohio Board of Education member, about what happened yesterday in the board meeting in which they once again punted the Shea Resolution uh, defending Title IX and defending girls and young women in schools in Ohio. They punted it to next month yet again. Uh, John Hagan is on that board. We'll talk about how the vote came down and where it goes from here. So that'll be coming up at 935. At 10.10, we're going to be talking with uh, Tabitha Walter of the Eagle Forum. Tabitha Walter chronicled very, very closely um uh, what ha- what is happening, or is chronicling rather, what is happening with this Respect for Marriage Act that has already passed the House. Now, some say, well, it's no big deal. The Supreme Court already said that you can have same-sex weddings and they must be recognized by the states, right? You recall that. That, of course, uh, was uh, a John Roberts decision more than anybody else. And it effectively undid, if you will, DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, but it didn't really. It will immediately, however, if H.R. 8404 and Senate Bill 4556, the concurrent uh, bills, pass, you will lose all religious liberty and all First Amendment rights if this passes. It is that serious. It is that severe. And I'm going to ask uh, uh, Tabitha uh, Walter to talk about it. She is the executive director of Eagle Forum, and I'm very much looking forward to that at 1010. I wish we didn't have that conversation to have because it's dangerous and it's probably going to pass. Then at 1110, of course, we'll talk about all of these things and talk about the uh, presidential announcement by Donald Trump with Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network. That'll be at 1110. So we've got Hagan, we've got Tabitha Walter, and we've got uh, uh, Jack Windsor scheduled today. Now, Patriots, please rise so that we can get into the details of the announcement last night and where I sit and find out where you sit. Uh, face your flag if you have one. If you don't, go ahead and imagine it. If you are driving, you can just go ahead and put your hand on your heart. You don't have to stand. It's very, very difficult to do when you're driving a vehicle. Um, if you are a leftist, if you are a believer in forcing upon Ohio school children CRT, SEL, and CSE, and kicking parents out of the loop of the education experience... Well, then you have no idea what that flag represents, and you are, well, you are exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, you can take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback and your favorite starting power forward on the Russian national team. That's uh, that's where they're much more comfortable. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
Well, um, President Trump made it official last night. He's back in it. He wants to have another go at it, and um, good for him. It is absolutely his right to do so. And I know there are a lot of people who are listening to the sound of my voice right now who are thrilled about that. I do not count myself among them. Now, let me be very clear. I want to be super clear, not the kind of clear that Corrine Jean-Pierre says whenever she says, but the president has been very clear. Joe Biden is as clear as mud. I want to be literally very, very clear here. When Donald Trump ran for president the first time around and joined that uh, massive Republican primary field in 2015, he was not my first choice. He was not my second choice, nor my third or my fourth or my fifth. I mean, honestly, I'm sitting here looking, trying to think back to all of the people that are in that race that I wanted before Donald Trump, who I saw as a lifelong career liberal, which he was. He was a New York liberal. And I remember saying, if he were to be the nominee, yuckety yuck boy, against Hillary Clinton, boy, what would we have to choose from? One New York liberal versus another. Because that's what Donald Trump had been. He had been a pro-abortion uh, all the way up through the third trimester, uh, left-wing activist, great friend of Bill and Hillary Clinton. And I said, no way, you got to be kidding me. And when I see him espousing conservative values on campaign stumps and debate stages and so on, I was like, you really believe this? You know, this is just he's saying what has to be said for political expediency. He's running as a Republican. Hell, I think he might be a plant. He may be coming in to tear the Republican Party down from the inside. All of those things crossed my uh, my mind. And I did not support him at all. I was first a Ted Cruz fan, and like I said, I had a whole bunch of other people. But when he came to Cleveland, and when the uh, convention was ended, and he was the official nominee, I said, all right, that's it. Enough of that. He is saying the right things, whether he means them or not, only the future will tell, but he's saying the right things. He is our candidate, and his opponent is Hillary Clinton. Let's freaking go. And I got on board the Trump trade, and I started watching, listening, again with a raised eyebrow, a little bit of skepticism. He said he's saying the right things. He's got a lot of energy. He's driving the left nuts. And we got a little stronger, got a little stronger. As we got into that general election campaign, I gave some speeches around town, around Northeast Ohio, and I told everybody he might not be our favorite guy. If he is yours, great, but if he's not your favorite guy, you have to consider your vote for him to be one brick in the wall that separates Hillary Clinton from Washington, D.C. Keep her on the other side. This is, of course, during all of the talk about building a big, beautiful wall on the southern border that the left and the media which are repetitive, of course, considered to be racist and xenophobic. I said, let's help him build the wall, not just the southern border wall, though, but the wall that keeps Hillary away from the White House and the destruction of our country. And those were my my views at the time. I said, let's support him. Let's get it done. Even if he's not your best guy, he is a thousand times better than Hillary Clinton would ever be as she continued the third term, which would have been the third term for the of the Obama administration. So it worked to the shock of Americans and pollsters who gave him no chance whatsoever. It worked. Trump Pence was victorious, and now it was time to see how it all played out. And I'll fast forward through it. Short version is he was incredible. He kept his promises. He pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accord. He pulled us out of the Iran nuclear deal. He started to build that wall. He strengthened the border. He cut down on the human trafficking and the drugs and the criminals and the illegal aliens coming across that border to do terrible things here. He lowered the taxes. 
He got rid of scores of regulations. He made us a business-friendly country. He helped us become energy independent. For the first time in American history, we were net exporters of energy. New pipelines were begun. We were rolling. Crime was on its way down. Inflation was non-existent. Gas was around 2 bucks a gallon for most of the time. It started to rise a little bit toward the end, and by the time he actually left, it was 239 But that I attribute so much of that to the impact of COVID because it was the 2020 year. But, I mean, literally, every he strengthened our alliances overseas when everybody said he would make enemies over there. He strengthened our alliances, and he pissed off our enemies. I mean... $250 billion of tariffs slapped on the Chinese who had never been slapped like that before, ever. It was a phenomenal job that he did against all of the headwinds that included Russian collusion allegations, spying on a, on a campaign and a presidency with a false FISA uh, uh, application presented to the FISA court, a false warrant, I should say, uh, leading to that. Um. I mean, we can go on and on. I don't need to rehash the four years that you know uh, were tremendous. So I come into this one feeling very, 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 very much the same. I have watched what has gone on in this country the last two years, and I have watched how President Trump has conducted himself over the last two years, and more specifically over the last six months or so. And I have come to the conclusion that as phenomenal as he was... President Trump is not the right man to win the Republican nomination to go back and get his throne. President Trump, at this particular moment in time, is so toxic, not just with the left, but with many independents who are speaking out, that they will go Dem instead of GOP if Donald Trump is their guy. This is a very, very difficult situation. Because he did so well, yet brings with him and his terrific policies such a ton of baggage due to personality, can he accomplish or get things done? Moreover, can he win against the Democrats in a general election in 2024? And from where I analyze it and sit right now, I don't believe he can. I think if he runs in the general election, he will lose. I think if he runs against Joe Biden again, he would lose. And maybe not legitimately. Maybe not legally with more votes and more electoral votes going against him, but maybe illegally again. They will stop at nothing to stop him. Which is why I think new blood might be called for here. So I want to make this very clear before I get your opinions on this today and in the coming days. I am going to support somebody in the Republican primaries, which is not Donald Trump. But if Donald Trump rises up through those primaries and wins the nomination again like he did in 2016, I will put on the red cap and put the pedal to the metal and try to stop the Democrats from keeping the White House and keeping their destruction of the United States ongoing. I will absolutely support President Trump if he is our choice. But I think there are better choices. I do. And I welcome and I will forever be grateful to Donald Trump for doing what he's already done for the country, including stopping Hillary. 
and no decision I make in a primary setting will ever change my my appreciation for what he's done. But I'm not looking forward, or I'm not looking backwards, I'm looking forward. And the reality is, I think we are at a different time, and and a new voice is called for. One that won't be so toxic, and one that has the same type of Trump policies, but perhaps has a much better messenger. So that's why I sit today in no, in November of 2022 for an election that isn't until November of 2024. And I welcome your thoughts, too. 216-901-0945, However, we do have news coming up. And then John Hagan joins us to talk about the future of Ohio schools. As it pertains to yesterday's board meeting, we'll do that. Coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. promote this concept of you hire a superintendent and you let them run the school. I'm assuming that I'm assuming that liaison is appointed by the governor or by the board. No, he's he's a uh, department employee. Or I'm sorry, the department. Oh, so so it's so it is somebody who's who's just hired and chosen by the department. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, there, there, there are so many layers to this, uh, and we're going to. Matt Huffman, the Senate President, supports this, as I understand it. Again, it's sponsored by Bill Reinecke, Uh and I know there are going to be a lot of people who are saying we need, if we can't get the board to be functional and to do the things that need to be done to protect kids, uh, yeah. as it pertains to you know the recommendations on curriculum and text and so on and so forth, we need to take it out of their hands. I agree with that. Uh, no disrespect to you, of course, and your work on the board, John Hagan, but uh, I'm also a little bit scared of allowing a governor who has made such really, really questionable board appointments be the guy who's going to appoint a committee to to make these decisions from the governor's that, that office. Also, that also is a concern. That's, yeah, that's yeah. sure. Now, I, you know, I don't know I've what I'm talking, getting. I've been talking to the Senate president and the uh, Senate uh, Education Committee chair from the day I walked in the door down here. These are guys that, that I've known, that Christina has known. Uh, you know, I served with Matt Huffman in the House when I was there. And uh, so these these are valuable relationships, and you know I've expressed well, that. I'm glad I you think. have that relationship because it's going to take some collaboration to get this right. And uh, and John Hagan, I appreciate you coming on with us this morning. We're out of time here for now, but uh, let's let's please stay in touch on this as it develops and as it moves its way through the Senate and through the process, uh, because this is obviously going to impact literally every school parent and child in Ohio. So uh, we That's will uh, we will look forward to keeping up uh, in touch with you on it. Thank you, John Hagan. Thank you, Bob. 9.56 now. We'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. 
<laughs> Did that idiot actually screw up Goldilocks and the Three Bears and Little Little Red Riding Hood? <laughs> I I'd never heard that one before. We had that Hugh Hewitt promo right before the intro. What did Biden say? Yeah, everybody knows the story of Goldilocks. Well, I've got the shotgun, and I'm waiting for the wolf. <laughs> what is this dementia-addled, senile, imbecilic, dishonest old man talking about? Was he yelling at a cloud when he offered that one up? Goldilocks and the Three Bears, Little Red Riding Hood, had the wolf problem, and he's going to bring the shotgun to kill the wolf who's trying to kill Goldilocks. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's par for the course. And that man, by the way, got 81 million votes, we're supposed to believe. Hour number two underway now, 11 minutes past 10 o'clock. Sorry for riffing on that. It is uh, Wednesday, the 16th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you again to John Hagan joining us from the Ohio Board of Education. We'll get back to the conversation on Trump's announcement last night about his candidacy in 2024. But while all of that stuff is going on and while people are still trying to make sense out of the midterms, now is a very important time because before this dead, uh, lame, or excuse me, this lame duck Congress ends and the new Congress is sworn in, which will be with a slight and slim Republican majority in the House, they're going to try to do as much damage as possible. One piece of legislation. Uh, that is being pushed right now that they're trying to uh, get done this week is the Respect for Marriage Act. And you might think to yourself, Bob, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with respecting marriage? That sounds like a good thing. It's kind of like the Defense of Marriage Act back in the Clinton era, right? That's a good thing. No, it's not. And joining me now to discuss it is somebody who has written a very important, impassioned, and detailed argument against this and why we need to contact every senator immediately to tell them not to vote for this. Tabitha Walter is the executive director of EagleForum.com, and she joins us now to tell us about the Respect for Marriage Act. Tabitha, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. They sound alike, right? Defensive marriage, respect for marriage. They sound like, yay, this is a good thing. Let's everybody vote. Who could possibly oppose respecting marriage? That's, I think they play games with the names of these acts sometimes so that they can, you know, try to trick people into thinking they're something that they're not. Can you tell us more about what the Respect for Marriage Act really is? Oh, absolutely. So we don't call it the Respect for Marriage Act. We call it the Disrespect for Marriage Act because that's exactly what it does. Now, it does harken back to the Clinton-era Defense of Marriage Act, but it repeals it, which is absolutely unnecessary because we've had two Supreme Court cases that repealed that, um, that legislation. And so what they're doing, what the Democrats are doing, is they're posturing and they're trying to play to a base. Now, this was a political maneuver before the elections because they wanted to boost their outcomes. But now they're kind of pigeonholed because they've promised their basis, and now they're um, half-heartedly pushing it forward during a lame duck session, which we all know that a lame duck session is only mischief. So um, that's how they're kicking off the lame duck is pushing this Disrespect for Marriage Act forward. Um, So what they've done is a few different things. Um, The House passed version does not have any religious exemptions. So that means every single individual, organization, church, or, and uh, religious institution will have to recognize same-sex marriages. Now, the Senate didn't have the votes to push that forward, so they decided to introduce their own version, which includes some religious carve-outs. However, 
this is only pertaining to religious institutions. So that means the cake baker, the florist, the photographer, they all are subject to this law that would force them to provide their services for events and ceremonies that they morally and religiously don't believe in. So, How how does the language in the Senate version of this, how does this language differentiate between a religious institution and somebody's religious convictions? It's, it's only for specifically religious institutions. So that means um, institutions that have the tax status of being a church or they're pushing forward Christian education or some type of religious education. So when you're a cake baker and that's not your main goal, it, you, you're thrown under the bus. And so... I feel like there would be legal challenges to that. I apologize for the intrusion. I just want to kind of, you know, get into this this carve out a little bit here because, you know, if if they give the protection to the religious institution, how does that not filter to the parishioners of said religious institution? If you're giving the exemption to the church and somebody is a Mm -hmm. member of the church, can you make a member of that church violate that, you know, their, their, their religious conscience and do something against their faith, regardless of whether it's in private life or in, in their business, uh, business, uh, dealings. Right, and and that's what we're seeing play out, you know, throughout the years, especially when it comes to um, nuns who who participate in these organizations that are still religious, but aren't necessarily pushing forward religious education. And Mm so I, I would totally agree with you that if you are a member of a church, you are acting on behalf of the church at all times. But the federal government doesn't see it that way. They think that if you are employed by the church, you're fine. But if you're employed by another business or if you're an independent business, then you're not covered anymore by our constitutional right for religious freedom. Yeah, and that's what makes this so dangerous. And, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of spell it out because, you know, what is a church? But it's parishioners. There is no church mm-hmm. if there are not a group of people who want to come together and share their faith. Uh, you can have a preacher, a pastor, a, a deacon, a rabbi, or anybody else in front in front of a an empty pulpit. Is that the church? No, the church is the people in it. And if the people in it are forced to um, abdicate their own, you know, religious uh, convictions, um, then obviously you are attacking the church itself. So, um, right. you know, which which should be protected by these carve-outs that you're talking about. But anyway, uh, please continue. What else does this um, Senate bill? Because you know you were you in your piece that I read, uh, you know, you wrote about not only the uh, attack on religious freedom here, as we're discussing right now, but there's really an attack on the First Amendment, too. Let's let's get into that. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, I work for Eagle Forum, which is a nonprofit organization, and so we have strong beliefs that marriage is between one man and one woman. However, um, we do not fall under a religious institution, and so we could be targeted by the IRS, we are, um, our financial status and things like that, because we have a differing opinion than maybe our federal government does. And, and that's what we're, we're seeing the federal government do is, is put guardrails on freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And it's so dangerous for whoever's in charge at the time to redefine things like marriage. Um, and so this is this bill would allow them to come back to the redefinite, redefinition of marriage over and over again. And 
it would completely contradict our view on marriage. And so mm-hmm. we are not just fighting for the individual freedom, but for organizations to still have a voice as well. Yeah, that's that's extraordinarily important. Uh, if you just tuned in, we're talking to Tabitha Walter. She's the executive director of Eagle Forum. She's a graduate of Marshall University, by the way, bachelor's degree there, and also a magna cum laude master's degree in political science. So she's uh, she's got the, the the knowledge. Tabitha, um, when when I when I when I look at the DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, and when I look mm-hmm. at the fact that it was lifted by Obergefell, I've been I've really never heard anybody answer this question. And I'll see if you can. If they can change the definition of marriage, which was defined under DOMA as a marriage between one man and one woman, which is traditional, cultural, religious, and so forth, um, if, why is the change only from man and woman to potentially man and man and woman and woman? Why, if it, does, if it no longer holds that it's one man and one woman, why can't the change be in the number? Why can't it be between two men and one woman, one woman and t- or one man and two women, or three and one, or whatever? We are all in equal love with one another. Uh, does this not? Uh, it, does Obergefell and does this now Respect for Marriage Act not essentially legalize polygamy? Because if they're saying that one man and one woman no longer applies, why are we only focused on the sexes and not on the on the on the number of people involved? Right, and and that's always been our question: is why one group of people and why not the other when it comes to leftist thinking? Uh, but of course, we can't get in their minds because we have right thinking. <laughs> so, um, but this so opens that we, door, doesn't it? Doesn't this particular Senate bill and and uh, you know I don't know how they would rectify or reconcile these things. I should say with the House bill that you discussed earlier that did not have any exceptions whatsoever. Um, this, this kind of opens that door. It uh, it sounds like what the language here would do is, was literally codify any kind of marriage that anybody believes in. I mean, I I don't mean to be grotesque, but it doesn't even specify any longer men and women as human beings. In other words, we could see even interspecies marriage and there are just enough loons out there that they could try to make that happen. And this would have to be respected by the states as a legitimate marriage. We have people identifying themselves as quote unquote furries. They think they're cats. They think they're dogs are supposed to be respected as such and treated as such. Well, then, you know, this isn't a far leap to go into, you know, interspecies marriage like this. This is the, this is the grotesque nature of messing around with traditional, you know, marriage definitions. Right. It's terrible. Now, the House Pass version is a free-for-all. It absolutely would allow polygamy and who knows what else to happen. Um, the Senate Pass version has a little bit different language, and um, but it still subjects the marriage license licenses to the laws of the states. And so if the laws of a state change, say California wants polygamy to be on the books, then the federal law, if this would pass, would allow them to do that. And so that's that's where we're seeing the difference. And when those, uh, if, if this does pass the Senate, the Senate would have to come together with the House and negotiate mm-hmm. these terms because they are two different bills. And that means the guardrails that were put into place by the Senate 
will likely no longer be there because the House will want to strip those out. As weak so as we they were to start with, as weak as those right. guardrails were, they would even be you know struck down essentially in a negotiation with the House. Um, let, let me ask, because we've got time for about one more question here, uh, Tabitha. <laughs> Big picture here. Do you see this as I do? It's just a straight-up attack on the nuclear family as Marxism has promised and has uh, described as being necessary to create the kind of society, the anti-capitalist society that they believe in, anti-private property. They have said they need to disrupt or dismantle the Western nuclear family to advance that goal. Is that the bigger goal here, do you think, of those pushing these uh, uh, assaults on marriage? Oh, absolutely. Now, natural marriage isn't just a religious belief. It's a biological factor of a man and a woman who are designed to complement each other as well as the ability to procreate. And we know through studies that children thrive the most when they have a mom and a dad in the home with them. And so when you take that away, they're, they aren't making decisions very well like they could have. And, you know, we're talking about the future of our nation. These, the children now will be those who lead our country in the future. And so we have to protect them and make sure that they have a mom and a dad. And also we want children at the same time. And so that means men and women should join in those unions and create children and and have a better society because that natural unity is going on. And so this is this is much deeper than just the political level. It's it's something that's very natural and that we should protect at all costs. Yeah, I think that's that's very well stated, and in fact, probably understated. We need to uh, we need to be very very aggressive and vocal about this. Contact your senators in this lame duck period. Rob Portman's on his way out the door, and Rob Portman, of course, we know famously changed his view on DOMA when he found out that his son was homosexual, and uh, then said, "Okay, I agree with uh, same sex marriages." Uh, but you've got to contact your senators whether you're here in Ohio or whether you're around the country, and tell them to oppose this uh, because it opens the doors, especially if they have to negotiate with the House side, like you say, that is a free-for-all. Uh, it, it really is an attack on virtually everything in our culture and everything in our in our civilized society. Uh, Tabitha uh, Walter, Executive Director of Eagle Forum, thank you for shining a light on this. Uh, please keep us uh, posted if you find out any new uh, information about where this is headed, and we hope to talk to you again then. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Tabitha Walter from Eagle Forum. Check that story out, by the way, at eagleforum.org, eagleforum.org. I'll tweet about it, too, because it's important that we stop this in its tracks. Freedom of religion, gone. First Amendment, gone, if this passes, and we are unrecognizable down the road as a society. We'll be back. All right, it's 10.30. we got news coming up here. But on the other side, guest free until Jack Windsor at 11.10. You know what that means? 216 You heard my monologue and my thoughts on President Trump's announcement last night of 2024. I want yours. How do you feel about Trump 2024? Is it the right course? What did you think of the speech last night? Or do we need to move into a different direction challenging the Democrats? 216-901-0945. Your calls right after the news on Always Right Radio.
lie of a free people is the truth. Because the truth often poses a threat to power. Always right with Bob France. Truth is the most important value we have. On AM 1420, The Answer. That was uh, John Dutton before he was John Dutton, wasn't it? That's the way I see Kevin Costner anymore. I'll never see Kevin Costner in any other way other than John Dutton. You Yellowstone fan? Curious. It's, uh, it's a it's a modern-day phenomenon. My wife and I are addicted. A friend of mine, a uh, friend of ours, got us hooked like a year ago, year and a half ago. We watched all four seasons and couldn't get enough. We've been waiting for like eight months, nine months, whatever it's been, for season five, which started just last week. <clears throat> um, uh, it's phenomenal. You know what I love about it? I love about Yellowstone the fact that the left hates Yellowstone. They call it red state TV and anti-woke and all kinds of other crap that they don't uh, they don't like. Truth is, there are some woke moments in it. You know, they kind of play on the you know the white man and pushing in on uh, you know Native American lands, tribal lands, and the displacement of indigenous peoples and so on. They don't make they don't make everybody look great in that regard. Uh, but, you know, in the battle for control of the land, battle for control of the ranch, and so on and so forth, there is. There's just a, there's a style of living there that, that does appeal to the unwoke, and the left hates that. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I love it. Kevin Costner has recently come out, by the way, as uh, being more left-leaning, more Democrat. Uh, but, you know, he doesn't show it. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not on Twitter making ig- ignorant statements. He just, um, you know, just kind of does his show and, uh, and lets it go. And, uh, uh, I have a great respect for that. So anyway, there you go. A little riff. Uh, 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. You heard the announcement last night. President Trump is in. He is ready to go. The question is now, how do you feel about it? How did you feel when you heard this and, and it was made official last night? In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. So he made the announcement, and of course the the reactions have have come in swiftly from from all <clears throat> excuse me all different corners. Senator John Cornyn had this response: Well, anybody can run. I'd think you know the the world has changed considerably um, in uh, just in recent weeks. I'll support the Republican nominee, uh, but I don't know that it will be him. <laughs> it was less than a glowing endorsement. Um, I will support the Republican nominee, but I don't know that it will be him. Same thing. I concur. That is exactly how I feel. If he is a Republican nominee, I will fight with everything I have to make sure that uh, that he wins. I don't know that it will be him. I don't know that it should be him. In fact, at this moment in time, I do not believe that it should be him. His former partner, running mate, Vice President Mike Pence is pushing his new book now. He's making the tour. This morning, it was on Fox and Friends when he was asked about Trump making the announcement last night. And his response was... And it was. Can you even imagine 
if we'd have had four years of Hillary Clinton in the White House. The Supreme Court alone would have been lost to the left for generations. Uh, and Donald Trump was elected not just because of, of his agenda, but, but because of that style. People very much wanted that style to confront an establishment in Washington, D.C. that wasn't listening to the American people anymore. And he's exactly right about that, 100%. The Supreme Court would be lost forever if Hillary had made three appointments. Uh, our country would never come back from that. And we will forever be indebted to Donald Trump for that. However, our indebtedness is on a personal level. It is not something that should replace our common sense when it comes to our debt to the nation. Fealty to one man has never, ever, ever been what this country is about. Not from its first general slash President George Washington, not to the great emancipator, not to the great communicator, not to any of them. It's not about fealty to one man. It is about fealty to the country. What is best for the country? Uh, Vice President Pence went on to say this morning this. Uh, but it's a free country. The president's entitled to announce his intentions uh, whenever he desires. But uh, I honestly believe uh, that uh, we'll have better choices come 2024. You know, I, I don't think anybody better could have... Better choices than Donald Trump? Uh, I do. I-, I do. I do believe, he said, we have better choices or may have better choices. And, of course, he is saying that because he's going to be one of them. Mike Pence is going to run. Mike Pence, I don't think, will have a snowball's chance, but Mike Pence is going to run. Uh, whether or not Ron DeSantis runs, we don't know. Whether or not Mike Pompeo runs, we don't know. Whether or not Tim Scott runs, whether or not um, Ted Cruz runs, whether or not Tom Cotton runs, whether or not uh, Nikki Haley runs, and a whole host of others, we don't know. But I know Mike Pence is absolutely going to run. He made that very, very clear, especially when he said uh, there may be better choices. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. You tell me, do you want Donald Trump to win the nomination again? Or are you ready to move on with fresh blood? New blood, younger blood, same America first platform. That's kind of where I am. That's kind of what I want. Same platform, same MAGA mindset, same America first uh, policies, better messenger, less toxicity, less baggage, less hatred, more opportunity. That's what I'm looking for. Sally is in Berea. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Sally, good morning. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I heard some ex- excerpts last night, but I could not bear to watch it because I have a sinking feeling that in spite of his great policy accomplishments, and those are indisputable, there is so much festering vis- vitriol directed against him that he can't win the presidency again. His latest childish tantrums and recent name-calling of fellow Republicans like DeSantis sealed my decision. So now I worry he is dividing the party, and the drama begins. Well, Sally, I have to tell you, you're not alone in those feelings, and I thank you for the phone call and for sharing your your thoughts. Um, Turn it up. Thank you, Sally. Um, Thank you. Okay. Okay. the position that you've laid out here is one that is being laid out by a lot of conservatives who are in no way, shape, or form even close to being, quote, establishment. The name that is being used to describe Ron DeSantis by those who want President Trump to take back his his throne after it was taken from him illegally in 2020, and I still believe it was, 
Uh, but the name that they're using for Ron DeSantis is establishment because Paul Ryan likes him and because Mitch McConnell likes him. You think, well, if Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell like him, he must be establishment. No, that's hogwash. That's hogwash. That is, again, what, what some of the president's most ardent supporters are saying in order to stop people from leaving the compound, to stop uh, those who might defect from leaving the compound. How can you go and leave You know, the, our great president for somebody who's liked by Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell? He's establishment. In no way, shape, or form is Ron DeSantis establishment. None. Um, the fact that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell like him does not mean that they actually like him, that think that he's one of them. It's that they hate Trump. You know Mitch McConnell hates Donald Trump. You know that Paul Ryan hates Donald Trump. You know that these rhinos, like them, hate Donald Trump. And so in order to try to stop Trump, they're willing to grab on anybody. And so they see the biggest threat to him as being Ron DeSantis. So they say, hey, we like that Ron DeSantis. That doesn't mean Ron DeSantis is like them. That doesn't mean Ron DeSantis is is you know has any loyalty or fealty to the Ron or the uh, 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 Paul Ryan or the Mitch McConnell wing of the establishment at all. I want to read a couple of things. I started posting these on on my Facebook page a few days ago when, like Sally, uh, so many people got turned off by Trump attacking Ron DeSantis even before the election, before his re-election campaign in, in, uh, or re-election date in, um, in Florida last Tuesday. <clears throat> and called him Ron DeSanctimonious and, and got the, you know, the entire Trump train uh, screaming uh, bad things about Ron DeSantis. This is what a lot of conservatives who are in no way establishment or in no way deep state, how they feel. Matt Walsh, Daily Wire. DeSantis went after Disney. He took on the trans agenda. He shipped illegals to Martha's Vineyard. He defied Fauci. If you think he's establishment, then you truly have no idea what the establishment is, how it operates, or what it wants. You are just clueless. Caleb Hall. I voted for Trump twice and campaigned for him. He did some great things in office. But Trump's selfishness really hurt us this election, and it's time to move on from him. He's playing right into the Democrats' hands right now by attacking DeSantis. And he has lost me. Kurt Schlichter, sometimes host of the uh, Hugh Hewitt Show, which I'll be hosting on Monday, by the way. If Trump wanted to get some credibility back, he'd stop trying to get attention by picking fights with guys who won their last election and announce that he's giving $10 million to the guy he endorsed in Georgia and challenge the rhinos to pony up. Concur uh, with with Colonel Kurt there. I've got a ton of these. I don't want to go through them all, but I've got a ton of these. And these are all, like I said, Ben Shapiro, you know, Mark Levin. These are all dyed-in-the-wool conservatives who hate the swamp, want it drained, and so forth. But they have just had enough and have gone far enough with President Trump if this ego and his, his narcissism is going to have him on the attack against fellow Republicans, even again before the elections. Um, ben Shapiro retweeted one from, uh, uh, from a listener or from a, uh, a Twitter user who said, note that Trump isn't sending out screeds attacking Republicans who lost and thus handed wins to far-left Democrats. He's attacking the biggest Republican winners of the night, including a staunch conservative known for fighting wokeism, taking on the media, and rejecting shutdowns. That would be Ron DeSantis. How do you attack somebody who did all those things? Um, you, you just don't. You just don't. Lots of insane stuff here, but criticizing DeSantis for his handling of the pandemic has got to be the stupidest thing imaginable. Agreed. Ron DeSantis has become a conservative national hero for the way he handled 
um, the, uh, the, the uh, pandemic. And President Trump has criticized him for his handling it. President Trump, of course, gave us the Operation Warp Speed and these non-vaccine vaccines. President Trump actually took them and promoted them, and he actually gave Tony Fauci his platform. So again, there there are things here. President Trump and I ran down in my monologue this huge list of things that he did, which we will forever be grateful for. His tremendous accomplishments, domestically, foreign uh, relations, security, trade, all of those things. But he also did a lot of things that he has no business criticizing other people about because he made some serious mistakes. He's the one, by the way, who gave us Christopher Ray. He handpicked Christopher Ray to lead the FBI after they uh, got rid of. Uh, um, for crying out loud, why am I forgetting his name now? Uh, the one who, uh, uh, James Comey. Thank you, uh, Josh. Appreciate that. James Comey. He handpicked Christopher Ray. Christopher Ray is an absolute disaster who is weaponizing the FBI against the American people more than Comey ever did. So there are some things here. We, we, we have a tendency sometimes to hero worship and glorify uh, that which has gone by because we don't remember it as clearly as we did when it happened. And I think right now we are so disgusted by what the Democrats have done to us by way of Biden and the left in the Congress. We are so disgusted. We just want to go back and say Donald Trump did everything right. No, Donald Trump did may, many, many amazing things right, but he didn't do everything right. And criticizing Ron DeSantis for some things that he thinks he did wrong, but DeSantis handled way better handled way better than President Trump, is just, I think, a bad strategy. I think it's bad for, for, for the GOP, bad for the conservative movement, bad for uh, America. Okay, let's go to uh, Cleveland. John, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Sorry for making you wait. Go ahead, sir. Yes. Um, my view, I'll make it real quick. I had a whole bunch okay. of things to say, but I'm going to say I agree with um, your other, other your national host, you fill in for Dennis Prager. Mm-hmm. said, and I agree with him, the problem with the candidacy of former President Trump is the issue is going to be, the main issue is going to be about Trump instead of about the issues. And that is, that's not necessarily a winning thing because we, after this uh, midterm, we need to work and get the message out. For example, we need to tr- try, one example, we need to try really hard to share with people the basic humanity of the unborn person from uh, from the very beginning, from conception all the way to natural death. They, they, uh, these are all human beings. These are people. These are the unborn are people too. We need to start working on that to, to try to turn that around. And if the issue and other issues as well, but if but if the issue is Trump instead of the substantive issues that the next president will be dealing with, that doesn't sound to me like a winning. Situation. I did not hear that fill-in host for Dennis, but he's spot on, or she, whoever. Well, it was. no, it was, it was it was it was Dennis Prager himself. It was not fill-in. That was. Dennis oh, I thought Prager. I heard you say it was a fill-in. Okay. No, well, it was De- not. Okay. Well, Dennis is spot on, uh, and that is exactly right because ninety. And thank you for the call, John. Ninety-nine percent of the issues we win upon because middle middle America voters. Independent voters, moderate voters, centrist voters, they look at the way things are, are being run right now under the Democrats, and they cringe because all of our lives are in very, very desperate straits because of them. We win on the issues, so it's true. If the 2024 election comes down to the personality of President Trump instead of the issues, we are in trouble because of the personality he's going to lose independence. He's going to lose, it's already been established, moderates, centrists. 
somebody else who can keep the focus on the issues and not let his toxic personality get in the way is, I think, the road map to victory. So that's a great point. Thank you. And I'm glad Dennis made it. Charlie in Akron, you're on AM 1420 The Answer. Go ahead, Charlie. Thanks, um, Bob. Yeah, well, I know you've had Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti on, and uh, the thing is, you know, we focus so much as a nation on the presidency and, you know, elevate them to godlike status. It's it's just really not where we need to focus our uh, energies and strength is. Congress and the Senate are, are the most important thing for us to uh, control. And whoever is the president, you know, then we have a chance. But the president only has so much power. It's really Congress and the Senate. They're there forever. They're entrenched, and you can't get rid of them once they're, once they're elected. So we need to stay unified, whether Trump or whoever wins the primary even if we don't win the presidency, if next round we can get the Senate and hold on to the Congress, we, we've got it made no matter who's in, in power you know, in the uh, presidency. Well, here's the thing I would say in response. Thank you for the call, my friend. I, here's what I would say in response to that. Um, if we lose the presidency, I think the two years, uh, the next two years after that are going to be as disastrous, if not more disastrous, than these last two years have been. And then there is absolutely no guarantee that we'll be in a position to win the Senate after that. And plus, I don't think I can wait four years to try to fix everything that's broken. I think we die by then. And I don't mean literally each of us will die, our, our natural deaths. But I mean, as a country, it will be unrecognizable. The republic that you know today will not exist four years from now. That's what I said going into the midterms. Unfortunately, you know, we didn't get blown out, but we didn't blow them out either. And it was just another round in a very long fight. Like I said, ring the bell, let's go. Next round, I'm in. And I'll fight for these next two years, and I'll fight everything the Democrats try to push forward out of their, their, their slim to no majority in the Senate. And I'll hope that the investigators and the subpoena powers that, were, that are being granted to the investigators that are going to be in the Republican majority in the committees will do everything they can to weaken uh, the trash that the Democrats have put forth. Uh, I want to believe all of those things. And, and for the next two years, we need to make things better simply by not allowing the Democrats to make them worse. But if they win the presidency in 2024, all bets are off. Uh, let me squeeze one more in here real quick. James is in uh, Maple Heights. James, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. I, um, I'm definitely voting for Trump. Um, I hear everybody talking about he, he's abusive, he does this and does that. But he did one thing, he brought it back up. Now, that's like Biden, Secretariat, <clears throat> and then riding a mule the next term. This man knows where the snakes are at. And the sense I give him his just due, he's the governor, wasn't the president. None of these guys are going to know where all the snakes are at. I've got bad news for you, though, my friend. President Trump didn't drain any swamps. President Trump did not do anything to kill the snakes that you're talking about. Uh, President Trump, as a matter of fact, is aligned with some folks that I would call very, very questionable. President Trump gave full-throated endorsements to the ones that two conservatives and Trump supporters hate right now, like Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. He supported them, endorsed them, endorsed Ronald McDaniel as the leader of the RNC, which led this, you know, this less than stellar performance in these midterms here. As I said, pointed out, or excuse me, appointed Christopher Ray, who is one of the biggest snakes I think in Washington, leading the FBI. President Trump has got some questions about, I mean, let me rephrase. I would, I would ask you, 
uh, some questions about where those snakes are and why President Trump has uh, has been laying with them for for you know the better part of at least the two years since he's been out of office. I don't think he's infallible in that regard, James. Well, I would go back to his advisors who advised him. <clears throat> Okay. Well, uh, well, well. You know, a lot, a lot of people like to make that excuse, James. But who hires yeah. an advisor? He hires his own advisors. He chooses who's going to give him advice. And if they give him bad what? advice, then who does that ultimately fall upon? The that judgment of the, the judgment, right? The judgment of the individual. Right. I've always liked the old adage that I, when I hire people who are smarter than me, I prove that I'm smarter than them. Because I got them working for me, and I've got them giving me great advice and so on. And that's not just in politics. That's in business. If I own a business and I hire people who are smarter than I am, it shows how smart I am because I got the best people doing great things for me. President Trump hired some people who were less than stellar in a lot of his cabinet positions and especially, again, in the FBI. And uh, he hired a lot of advisors that maybe gave him bad advice. And that, to me, calls into question whether or not you know, that, that's really the thing to be hanging your hat on if you're saying, I'm, I'm for Trump in the new primaries. Well, it's kind of like when Moses, not to get biblical, he didn't, he couldn't speak. And when he's bringing the children where they want to go, turns around, goes up on a mountain to take a visit, comes yeah. back down, and the people don't like him because he can't speak and this and that. I think it would take me a while. Thank you for the call, James. i got to get out of here. I think it would take me a while to make that connection. <laughs> from Moses to President Trump. But I do appreciate the point you're trying to make. Uh, let's get a time out here. we got news coming up. Jack Windsor is going to give us his thoughts on what was announced last night at Mar-a-Lago and a whole lot more. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. It is a Wednesday, the 16th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so much for being with us. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, and my fellow citizens, America's comeback starts right now. President Trump making the announcement yesterday that was a surprise to absolutely no one. And by the way, if anybody had any questions, when they turned on Fox, I think Fox was the only network that actually carried it live. Anybody who uh, might have been wondering, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? He announced a big announcement. What's he going to say? 
the podium <laughs> the podium was adorned with Trump 2024 uh, uh, graphics. So uh, the announcement was uh, was a surprise to absolutely no one. I said this before. Uh, when I interviewed President Trump uh, in June of last year of 2021, and I asked him if he was going to uh, run again in 2024, he he said, well, I can't say that right now, but I think he'll be very, very happy. I mean, he was basically announcing it right from the day Biden was inaugurated. He was basically saying, I'm coming back. I'm not going to let this stand. I want my second term, the one you just stole from me. So last night it was official. He is uh, going for his second term. It'll take his third run to get it, however. Joining us now to analyze that and so much more is our good friend from the Ohio Press Network, founder and uh, uh, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. But more importantly to me, he's my co-host in Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. It's our new podcast that airs on Facebook Live or streams on Facebook Live. Uh, Mondays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. And uh, will soon be uploaded to all of the podcast networks and platforms that you are used to getting your podcast from. Jack Windsor, what's going on, brother? Hey, Bob. It's uh, super fantastic to be here. Thanks for choosing me today. I won't ask you uh, the super fantastic question like I did on the last podcast. Uh, <laughs> we'll say that one. Uh, okay, Jack Windsor. Um, Trump loyalists, MAGA hat wearers, uh, 45 enthusiasts, they're super fantastic because they got what they wanted last mm-hmm. night. Um, this, I think, is the earliest I have ever heard of a president declaring, or a candidate rather, declaring his candidacy for the presidency. I, I, they almost always come in the year before the election, in 2023 in this case, usually in the spring to summer. I think Trump did it in June of 2015 for the 2016 race, but. He's not waiting. He's literally two years away, November of 22, for the November of 24 election. Does that, uh, what do you, I want to ask if it surprises you. What do you make of this, such an early announcement? You know, we talked, Bob, prior to the general election last week. And when he was in Ohio, we flirted with the idea that he might announce then. Yeah. So I think he was chomping at the bit to do it. Um, between you and me and everybody listening, I think it was a game time decision then. I think, I think he was legitimately deciding while he was at the podium if he was going to announce when he was in Dayton to talk about JD Vance and some of the other U.S. Senate candidates that he backed. So I'm not surprised that he announced so soon. Um, you know, what is the effect on, what kind of effect does that have on the primary? You know, it's really, it's, it's hard to tell. It makes it more expensive. I believe. Um, but look, he's going to have uh, earned media now, not that, you know, CNN and all those other places don't cover Trump anyway. Um, but here comes the wave of Donald Trump for the next two years. Um, and so, you know, that gives him maybe a slight advantage there. Um, he's going to spend a ton of money, which means that anyone that wants to beat him in the primary is also going to have to spend a ton of money. The other thing that it does is I think it brings into focus, what does the Department of Justice do now? Uh, you know, it's been kind of a wait-and-see game after they procured all those documents from Mar-a-Lago, and some people speculate that he's going to get a good piece down the road and have spent money and started campaigning, and then all of a sudden, um, uh, you know, the action's going to be taken by the DOJ. So there's a lot yet to be determined, but uh, it certainly isn't hard to determine how people are feeling about it, and if I were to sum it up, It's a mixed bag, Bob. I would start with your comment yesterday. Is it possible to believe two things at the same time, like someone being an exceptional former president and that he shouldn't run again? And yes, it is. Uh, And and I think 
there are a lot of people who feel what you're feeling, whether they say it on record to me for a report or not. Uh, I think you're right. Um, The one thing I would say about what you just said is that the mixed bag isn't like filled with a whole bunch of hodgepodge of opinions. There's either Trump all the way or I detest the idea. Um, There's nobody who's in the middle going, yeah, Trump's running for president again. Okay, I'm all right with that. Yeah, meh. There's there, there's very little shrugging of the shoulders and okay it's either outstanding that's what I can't wait let's go MAGA all over again or it's mm-hmm. no I don't want this circus again I can't handle this again we need new blood I just feel like there's nobody in the middle of a Trump announcement like this. Now look and that's I think uh, two parts the first part is that's where our country is it doesn't matter if we're talking about parents' rights and education or who the nominee is for president. Um, there's a clear line of demarcation, and you're either on the left or you're on the right. But to say that Donald Trump isn't polarizing would be a joke. So um, I, I think those two things together make it absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, Bill Cunningham, I talked with him uh, quite a bit down in Cincinnati. He said, you know, Trump is the supposed to be the, the kingmaker, not the king, and this is the wrong time. Uh, Luis Gill, uh, who ran uh, wait, in wait, Franklin wait, 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 hold on a second. Bill told you that Trump is supposed to be the kingmaker and not the king. In what world? When has Donald Trump ever been kingmaker and not I am the king, I am the centerpiece? When, when has that ever been? I mean, I'm thinking back to his career as a, you know, as a as host of The Apprentice, to his, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar real estate dealings and his Trump casino and his Trump uh, hotels and his Trump, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh uh, what was the school called? The Trump University thing. I mean, he's always yeah. been. I'm the king. I'm the centerpiece. When, what is Bill talking about? I've well, never I, known him to know, be the kingmaker. I've never known him to say I want to be behind the scenes, behind the, the throne. The, in and in fairness, yeah. In fairness to him, in fairness to everybody that I talked to last night, the question was: Is this the right move for the party? And maybe that's a loaded question. And he said, "Not really. We need him to be a kingmaker and not king." So now that I agree point, with, I think yeah. That, he needs to be that, that, but he's never been. That's never been his MO. That's not. That's not in his DNA. That's right. So he might be. You know, he might be the prince maker, right? He might say, "You can be part of this court or the round table, but don't forget who your daddy is. I'm king." Uh, you know, that is his, <laughs> that is in his DNA, um, and that's not what he's going to do. I think some people speculated that he might announce last night that he wasn't going to run and that he was going to anoint somebody as. You know, the heir apparent, that didn't happen. Maybe it was in the cards. Maybe that's why, you know, there was some vitriol for uh, the governor of Virginia, uh, Glenn Youngkin, or Ron DeSantis in Florida. I don't know. I'm still puzzled by those things. I'm sure there are a lot of QAnon conspiracy theorists who have, you know, uh, that up on the top of their list and could explain it, you know, just like uh, JFK Jr. is going to come out of the clouds and, and run with him. I don't know. But, um it's it's perplexing, but it's not when you look at Donald Trump. He's going to run, um, and he has a head start. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, the head start doesn't always mean so much. By the way, we saw that in the Ohio Senate race, Tim Ryan got a head start in May and started full, you know, floor uh, pedal to the to the metal immediately. Uh, and JD Vance said, "Okay, slow and steady wins the race. I'm going to wait until it counts. I'm going to wait till August and September and October before I start TV uh, and do my thing." So the head start he's going to have over all of the others may or may not bear any fruit. I, I just wanted to be clear too. 
If Donald Trump wins the nomination, I will go to the mat for him, and I will bring with me that record of success, of economic success, of national security, southern border, foreign affairs, trade, you name it. I will go to bat for him every step of the way because his policies work. But what millions of Americans seem to be saying, and I've seen a couple of surveys that indicate this, not to mention the uh, comments directly from some of Trump's largest supporters and voters in 2016 and 2020, uh, they're saying, we want those those policies to continue. We want everything you did to continue, but we need a better messenger because we can't defend the toxicity and we can't deal with it, quite frankly, either. It's very, very hard to do. Um, and Jack, the, the other part of this, it seems as though anybody who is not saying that, anybody who is still wearing the red cap and saying, let's go, they're trying to find a way to smear his biggest rival as establishment. Can you tell me anything that Ron DeSantis has done since he you know, became governor, defied Fauci, defied the CDC, opened up his state, and, 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 and the list goes on and on? Can you tell me anything that smacks of establishment or deep state type of uh, 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 characteristics in, in the governor of Florida? Outside of the QAnon message boards, no, right. I can't. And I think, by the way, that is, is, that's probably the faction of the party and the Trump supporters um, that are beating that drum. Uh, by the way, the same group of people said last night, oh, wait a minute, no, 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 he didn't say he's going to run in 2024. No, no, you're, you're construing it. This is fake news. He didn't say he's going to run for president in 24. I mean, Somebody said that? Who said that? Was that uh, a- there, are, there are quite a few people who said no. The news is reporting false information. Trump didn't say he's going to run in 2024. What is wrong the with way. these people? Did they not see the podium in front of him that said Trump 2024? I mean, what is wrong with people, Jack? I'm just having such a hard time understanding, regardless of where you fall on the Trump, you know, now or 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 time for new blood thing. What where do, where does that come from when it is literally on the podium, uh, you know, from which he is speaking? I mean, my God. Yeah, you know that's. That's a different analysis. That's a whole different psyop analysis that I'm not qualified or patient enough to, you know, roll through. But I will say, um, you know, I did get a video yesterday of Ron DeSantis being questioned about what Trump said, and it was really interesting. His response didn't include Trump's name at all. And some people said, wow, what a classy, powerful response. And he basically said, well, you know, it's kind of part and parcel with politics, right? I'm over the target. I'm going to take fire. That's what happens when you are effective. That's what happens when you listen to people and stand up for them. That's what happens when you get things done. So, um, yeah, I would expect that there is going to be a smear campaign. That's part of what happens in the primary. And by the way, um, I think that is the downside. I'm hearing two things. You said something before you asked the question about Ron DeSantis. You said, you know, I would work for his campaign. What I'm getting from a lot of people that I reached out to last night, and there were a ton, is two parts. The first is, if he does get the nomination, I'm working for him, we're going to bring this thing home. But what I'm also hearing is, he's not the guy. He's not the guy. His time has passed. We need to move on. So, um, you know, I'm getting a lot of that. And uh, I just feel like um, if he does continue down the road, um, and I only say if he does, not to be a conspiracist, but I'm saying, how will the Department of Justice weigh in? Will that matter at some point, perhaps? I don't think that it will derail him, but it will be a, you know, a blip on the radar or a bump that he has to drive over. So yeah. that being said, what this does do 
is it makes the primary bloody and expensive. And I think that's the, that's the part. I mean, we just saw that in Ohio with J.D. Vance and that six or seven, depending on how you want to count it, six or seven member race. I mean, the GOP beat the snot out of each other and they spent $65 million. And then when it came time for the general election, um, you know, thank goodness if you're a Republican that Tim Ryan's rebranding campaign wasn't effective because he spent $50 million. Um, so it's going to be expensive. And I think, um, you know, the downside to it is do, do you exhaust all of your resources in the primary and are people so divided and bludgeoned by the time they get to the general in 2024 that Joe Biden or somebody else cruises to victory? I cannot help but wonder in that, um, you know, that factor of the race to come, how much of it will be self-funded like his first campaign and how much he will be able to draw donors, big donors. Um, he may be able to draw a lot of small donations from, you know, the, the, the Trump, the Trump train riders, but I wonder how many big donors are going to get behind him given all of the things that we just talked about versus, uh, mm-hmm. the new blood that can go for a lot longer. Uh, just something to consider. Jack, let's pivot quickly to Ohio yep. because uh, I talked to John Hagan this morning and we had a really great conversation, a lot of great information about what happened yesterday, but the great information isn't a great result. They punted again. Uh, they continue yep. to find ways to not vote on the Brendan Shea resolution, which even though it was voted out of the executive committee on Monday to do so yesterday, they found a way to uh, not declare it an emergency vote, and thus we can take it up again in December. I mean, they can just do this month after month after month, can't they? Yeah, they can, but you know, here's, here's what is in the advantage of people who don't. Well, first of all, uh, my understanding is there was no roll call vote. Uh, and instead of voting on the resolution, they craftily said, look, we need to make this an emergency order that we vote on, right, or an emergency resolution. So they weren't necessarily voting on the resolution. They were saying, hey, it's an emergency resolution, and that's kind of what killed it. So they can come back and say, well, we didn't vote against it. We just didn't vote to make it, you know, something that we were going to decide on that day. So it gives them another buffer. The problem is, um, you know, there were three board members, uh, Teresa Fetter, Tom Jackson, Katie Hoffman, uh, by the way, that the teachers union put $100,000 behind, who were just elected. And, uh, you know, as we flip the calendar into 2023, those folks are going to be on the board. And they're not folks that support Brendan Shea's resolution or Mike Cole's uh, changes to that resolution. So as the State Board of Education kicks this can down the road, what it ensures is that this is either going to die on the vine or it's going to be killed in 2023 when there is a decidedly liberal State Board of Education. And I'm sure I, I have to go back and listen uh, to your conversation with Mr. Hagan today, and I will. Um, but I'm sure you probably got into uh, maybe the next hope for conservatives, which is Senate Bill 178. Yeah, I did. And, that, and that, that. that was the last question I wanted to ask you about, as a matter of fact. But you know what? I'm tight here on time before the bottom. Can you you want to hang, Jack? Yep. All right, you let's got do it, it. Brother. Let's take this time out here. We'll get to our newscast. We'll come back and ask Jack Windsor about that, too. It's a big deal. Yeah, Senate Bill 178 in the Ohio Senate um, is extraordinarily important if we're going to try to stop the woke crap that is going on in our schools. And uh, we'll talk about it with Jack right after this.
banter. Senate Bill 178 introduced in the Senate Primary and Secondary Education Committee yesterday by State Senator Bill Reinecke from Tiffin seeks to, quote, improve the academic achievement and workforce skills of our students to drive better outcomes in their education and prepare for more effective career readiness, end quote. The other things that it will do, according to those in the know, uh, is take the decisions on woke curricula out of the hands of the Board of Education. State Board of Education would be basically kind of whittled down where their responsibilities would be... um, well, having nothing to do with uh, with respect to to textbooks and uh, and curriculum, Jack Windsor is back with us once again to uh, discuss. Jack, this is a big deal, especially as we continue to watch what you just discussed last segment. The Ohio Board of Education be unable to do anything of substance as it pertains to uh, CRT, CSE, and all the other concerns that people have about parents not having a role in some of the radical things that their kids are learning. So, if the Board of Education won't act. Well, here's one state senator who's looking for some support and sponsors uh, mm-hmm. to say, and it's got the support, my understanding is, of Senate President Matt Huffman uh, mm-hmm. to say that if they won't get out of their own way and do anything, then we'll do it for them. We'll, 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 we'll take it out of the Board of Education's hands and give it to the governor. Yeah, so we'll kind of slow roll through this, and, and you can speed me up where we need to. But uh, the bill resides in the uh, Primary and Secondary Education Committee in the Senate, uh, Andrew Brenner who actually is my senator, my state senator, uh, is the chairman there. Um, other members are Louis Blessing, Stephen Huffman, Sandra O'Brien, Michael Rooley, and Vernon Sykes. So Republicans uh, have a five-to-one advantage in that committee. So that bill will get out of committee. Uh, my conversation with Senator Andrew Brenner, uh, my first question was, I looked at the bill, and it's very short. And when I look at the summary, it says the bill states the intent of the General Assembly to enact legislation to reform the functions and responsibilities of the State Board of Education, the Superintendent of Public Instruction, and the Department of Education. And I said, hey, is this a placeholder? And he said, yep, it is a placeholder. Uh, The sub-bill comes next week based upon Bill's testimony. Um, Let me get you hit. And and, um, by the way, Bill uh, is the the senator, um, Bill Reinecke. Um, And so I have his testimony that I'm going through right now. But the plan is to have hearings on this bill the week of the 30th, uh, and then the week of December 7th with a possible vote on December 13th. Now, um, they intend to send it to the floor. So what happens there is up for debate, literally and <laughs> figuratively. Um, but Brenner said, I don't think that it will have time to go through to the House. So, um, and by the way, the Republicans again have a massive supermajority in both the Senate and the Ohio House. But it looks like they, the Senate could get their work done. Uh, before, you know, going into Christmas, perhaps. But I don't know that the House will have time to act. Okay. Um, let's talk about what it would mean and how it would improve things, if it does. Um, if the governor's office takes control of this, then um, are we talking appointees? Are we talking about a committee? What are we talking yeah. about? My understanding as right now, the way the discussion is going, the bill would change the department structure and make – uh, the Department of Education and Workforce Development, and that would have a director appointed by the governor with the Senate's approval. And so in that case, the State Board of Education, which is the group we've talked about that has kicked the can down the road with Shea and Toll's resolutions, they would play a limited role in the department's policy, becoming an advisory board to the director of this uh, Department of Education and Workforce Development. 
Um, the board would still continue to oversee future licensures, education or educator misconduct cases and school ter- uh, territory transfers. But the department would have two divisions, one focused on K through 12 and another on career technical education. The state superintendent would have a demoted role being only an advisor to the director and the board's secretary. So what it would do, yes, is it would give this director more control. Um, and that is something I think we, that needs to be considered and debated. But yes, it would it would totally and radically change the state board of education structure right now. So, uh, do you have any faith, Jack, in in such a, 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 a you know Department of Educational Workforce group to do this? Uh, if the appointed director of said group is is going to be Mike DeWine, because Mike DeWine is horrible. <laughs> at selecting people to do what is right by way of parents and their kids. He's the one who appointed the Tim Millers of the of 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 the of the uh, uh the OBE and the uh what's her name uh, uh Manchester or something the one who was sitting yeah. who sat there in this committee hearing and could not define a woman. She was like uh Katanji Brown Jackson. Literally could not define a woman. You know, I think there's multiple definitions. She won't even accept biology. How is she on a school board if she's literally saying the biology isn't real? Um, and this is an appointee of, of Mike DeWine. Mike DeWine is the most pathetic wretch of a governor the state has ever seen, and that includes the Democrats, and I don't want him po- appointing anybody. I want I want Senate 178 to pass only because I want to take this out of the left-wingers on the school board, but Mike DeWine is going to appoint left-wingers on the new committee. So there's there's the there's the issue of executive overreach in every capacity, right? That that's always a risk. We just went through two years of seeing that play out federally and statewide, in my humble opinion. So if we're going to consolidate power with one appointment, um, it might be good if your uh, person is in that chair. It might be terrible if your person isn't in that chair. What happens four years from now if uh, you know somebody like Nan Whaley replaces Mike DeWine? Now, but you ask a fair question: What happens if it's Mike DeWine and his appointment isn't um, as conservative or wouldn't do the things that you and, and the listeners would want done? And I think that's a fair question. Here's the challenge: uh, They're saying the the crazy part out loud. You and I talked about this on our podcast, whether it's the National Education Association, Ohio Education Association, Ohio Federation of Teachers. These folks are saying, look, parents aren't the experts. Teachers are the experts. Parents, you need to stay in your lane. We're the experts. We're going to teach the kids. We know better than you. And when people stand up and say, hey, I just want to make sure that my rights as a parent are protected, if something is going down with my kid regarding his or her mental and emotional health or, you know, questions about gender ideology, I want to be included. And by the way, I think, you know, girls should compete against biological girls and boys should compete against biological boys. But what's happening is Scott DeMauro, he hasn't, he has not defined it, but he, he calls people like that extremists. So, you know, that's the other challenge. So the unions are lining up and saying, hey, you extremists, sit down, let the teacher experts handle all of these things. And But, you know, there's a lot of money behind the teacher's union, and money talks. Of course. So, you know, there are a lot of hurdles ahead, Bob. Um, and people like you and me, we both have kids. Um, I'm not really anti-anything. I'm, you know, pro a lot of things. I'm, I'm pro parents' rights, and I'm, I'm pro science. I'm pro facts, and I'm pro uh, protect my daughter and 
make sure she's not competing against a, a boy who's two times her size and strength. So, but we would be called extremists. So th- there's an uphill battle there, Bob, and it's going to be one. I don't think it's going to be one in one piece of legislation. I think it's no. a, a slow slogging fight. Yeah, I, I completely concur. Um, it is a, it is a, a shame. <clears throat> it is to the shame of our Ohio uh, board of Ed- Department of Education, the Ohio Board of Education, and the individual district boards that we even having to have these conversations. That uh, that these teachers should be allowed to implement their woke curricula ideas uh, in judge in place of the parents' judgment, and then literally to tell them by way of you you and I talked about it in our podcast some of the statements from the NEA, which of course is part of the uh, of which uh, the OEA is part. Literally saying that, you know what, parents, step to the side, stay in your lane. We know what's best for your kids. That is ultimately what this is about. Do parents have a right to say, I'm raising my kids. You just teach them math and, and, and English. I don't even know if I want to teach them science now if they won't acknowledge that, that, that sex is binary, uh, that there are only two genders, that there are only two genders, no more. If they don't want to do, I don't even know if I want them to do the science part of that. We should probably be able to farm that out to to actual uh, scientists and biologists. But uh, but at the end of the day, Jack, it doesn't speak well of our entire public school system in the state of Ohio if uh, uh, if parents are being shoved out of the uh, out of the um, uh, I don't know their role, I guess, if you will, in the upbringing of a child. No, it it truly is the manifestation of what we talked about for decades. The nanny state is here. Yeah, and yeah. government has taken place of God and parents, and uh, we need to wake up to that, and we need to decide what what we're going to do about it. That's why we have you on, Jack Windsor. That's perfectly stated. That is exactly what's happening here. Jack Windsor, Ohio Press Network, and also Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack, Mondays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. on Facebook Live. Make sure you follow us there, and we'll get them uploaded as quickly as we can to your podcast platforms. Jack, thank you. Always an honor, Bob. God bless that's you. all Thank the time. You. That's all the time we've got for today. I want to close with this. I'll see you tonight in Northfield, right? If you have not yet registered to be at our Citizens for Free Speech Town Hall tonight with Tom DeWeese speaking on the Great Reset, you still have time to do it. Register right now at citizensforfreespeech.org forward slash Ohio. We'll see you tonight, and then we'll see you tomorrow morning right here on Always Right Radio. Be well, be safe, stay free. Bye bye. Let's go, Brandon.